Well, we are going to continue this morning in the book of James, so if you have your Bible, whatever form that comes in, uh, let's look at James chapter 1. We're going to finish out the chapter uh, today. We're going to start in verse 19, go through verse 27. If you'd like to take notes, there's a um, sermon outline in your worship folder this morning. You can write down anything that you feel like God says to you, or you can fill in the blanks. I always try to fill in the blanks. Sometimes I try to fill in the blanks sometimes with words I think it's going to be, <laughs> to just to see if the speaker's as smart as I am. <laughs> anyway, well, we're going to kind of take a, a a run up to verse 19. We need to go back to verse 18 that Pastor Steve uh, finished with last weekend to get the context here of what of what's going on. So we're going to start in verse 18. It says, "He who's that." God chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth. The basis of our salvation and our security is the word of God. He chose. He, God, pretty important. He chose. Salvation was instigated by him. And he promises that that decision is entirely based on his holiness. He made a decision to give us salvation. He chose us. He chose to give us birth. He says he gave us birth. It is his gift to us. He gave it and he promises not to take it away. John 10, 28 says, I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. If you've ever questioned whether your salvation as a believer is for good, it is permanent, this is a great verse to look to. Jesus says, I give them eternal life, they will never perish. Deep meaning in the Greek of the word never is never, won't perish, no one will snatch them out of my hand. In other words, I'm not going to take it away and I'm not going to let anybody else take it away. He gave us birth, a spiritual birth, a birth that would never end in death. It says he gave us birth through, by means of. The birth comes through his word. It cannot be ignored because it's the very thing that brings forth life in us. We cannot be people who ignore the word of God. It's the very thing that gave us and continues to give us life. Through the word of truth. God's word is fully truth. It is the full revelation of God himself to us. That is the gospel. God's revelation to us of himself. So the basis of our salvation and our security is the word of God. Therefore, the basis of our spiritual development must be the word of God. The basis of our spiritual development, our growth, must be the word of God. The big Bible word for spiritual development is sanctification. Philippians 2.13, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. That is Sanctification, God working, acting, and doing his will in our lives in order to fulfill his good purpose. Maybe not what we think ought to happen, maybe not in our timing, maybe not the way that we want it, but to fulfill his good purpose. One of the primary ways that God works in us and changes us is through his word, the Bible. 
It is always, his working in our life is always for his purpose, which he says is good. Now, in some versions, Philippians 2.13, that last word that says for his good purpose, the word is translated his good pleasure. His good pleasure. It makes him happy when we're becoming like him. The gospel at work in us is characterized by both hearing and then resolutely doing the truth. That's what James is going to challenge us with this morning. The gospel at work is characterized by truly hearing and resolutely doing the truth. God, through his word, has regenerated and birthed us. He has raised us from the dead. He has given us life. He has saved us and redeemed us by the word of truth. And if we are followers of Christ, if you are here today as a follower of Christ, you and you've committed your life to him, then you have already experienced the power that James is talking about here in your salvation. And the power, that same power of God is at work in you, totally transforming you. So that's our start. Our salvation and security is in the word of God and our ongoing spiritual development and growth is the word of God. Verse 19, we're going to read through uh, verse 22. We're going to take this in, in little sections, okay? Verse 19, my dear brothers, and I would say sisters, we won't let you off the hook, ladies, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. What do these verses tell us? To take in the word of God. To take in the word of God. Now, there are two aspects I want us to consider as we look at these verses. And I believe they're both within the context of the passage and they really intertwine with each other. First, our response to and our interaction with Scripture, and then our response to and our interaction with others as they speak the truth of Scripture into us, okay? Now, these verses are usually looked at a certain way, and we're going to kind of put a little different angle on it this morning, but I want us to keep that in mind that this is, yes, it is about our interaction with one another. It is also about our interaction with the, the Word, with the truth that God is speaking into our lives. So I'm gonna, we're going to share just a few things here about how to take in the word of God. What's he say here? Well, quiet yourself and grow. Be slow to speak. Look at this. We are to listen to the word of God. We are to listen to it as we read the Bible regularly, as we hear it preached in sermons, as we share with others in Christian community in our small groups, as we're challenged with truth given to us from our spiritual partners and mentors and friends. This is the way that we grow, by realizing that real faith is not all about us. Quiet yourself. Be slow to speak. Now, wives, this is your chance to do that to your husband. Be slow to speak. It's not always about us. We learn, think about this, we learn, we take in the truth best when we are not the ones talking. That's hard for some of us. It's really hard for most of us, isn't it? But we learn best, we take in truth when we're not the ones talking. 
The last time I checked, the word of God had more truth in it than what I say. So, quiet yourself and grow. Second, humble yourself and grow. Be quick to listen. Listening is a far more humble state than some of us are capable of in our own strength. Many of us struggle with doing this because we say this internally. I know what I think, and I need to share it with you right now. Because I want you to be fully enlightened by my words. But we do that to the word, too. Well, okay, God, that's what you say, but let me, let me, let me spend some time telling you what I think. Listening intently to the word of God, whether it's as we read it or as it's spoken to us by others, is self-humbling. We're to humble ourselves and be quick to listen. Then we are to patiently listen and grow. Now, James gets right to the point here and tells us a very simple way to know whether we are patient and humble, and that's to check our anger. We're supposed to be checking our anger. That's going to show us whether we're really listeners or not. Anger is rarely quiet. Truth, the truth of the word can sometimes make us angry if we're not careful. It's hard to hear truth and we can sometimes become angry with God of what he's telling us, thinking that we know better than he does. Anger is this though. Anger acts as if God is not in control. It denies the gospel really. It, it betrays a lack of trust in God and a lack of love for other people. See, it what anger does is it acts as if people should be more concerned with pleasing you than pleasing God. It acts as if our judgment has not been affected by the fall. See, everything that we see, when, when our version of events and attitudes and motives are really examined, it's filtered through the fall. It's filtered through our innate sinfulness and our selfishness. But what anger does is say, well, the way I interpret events and the way I interpret your attitude and your motive is fully true. I've got it all right. I've evaluated everything accurately. The reality is that the vast majority of our anger is out of our own selfishness and our own self-righteousness. We want what we want when we want it how we want it. What else are we supposed to do? To seek purity and grow. To seek purity and grow. Look at verse 21. Get rid of, James gets right to the point, all moral filth and evil that is prevalent. Not some, but all sin we're to get rid of. Moral separation of the Christian from sin is basic to the Bible's teaching on holiness. Among other things, this is how you prepare yourself to hear and accept God's word. You ever had one of those weeks where you've just, you know, sin has taken you over? Coming to church on Sunday isn't fun that week. Because there's so much junk in the way of hearing God's truth. He says, seek purity, get rid of this. See, we need to be a people who clean out our spiritual ears so that we can hear. Let me remind you of this fact. Sin 
has a vested interest in your not listening to God's word. Just like cockroaches don't like the light, sin hates truth. Sin is not neutral. It doesn't want you to take the word in and consider your life in light of it. The goal of the word of God is repentance. The goal of sin is recurrence. See, the goal of, of, of God speaking into our lives and other people speaking truth in our lives, the goal of truth into our lives, the goal of the word of God is that we change and we repent, and that we turn a different direction. That's what repentance means. You're going this way, turn and go this way. That's repentance. That's the goal of the word of God. The goal of sin is recurrence. Just keep doing what you're doing. That's why we do it. It's easier, right? I just keep going this direction. I just keep doing the same thing over and over and over again. That's sin's goal. We dare not, though, try to change or edit God's word in order to live in whatever way we decide would make us happy. The evil that is so prevalent, prevalent where? Well, he's speaking to the church, so he either means in their culture or in the church. The evil that is prevalent. Why is it prevalent? Because somebody was editing. And that's what we love to do, isn't it? And if, but if we do that, we are not getting rid of the very thing that blocks our growth, and that's sin. Seek purity and grow. Then one last thought on this little section. Commit to obedience and grow. It says, humbly accept this. Humbly accept it. We're to be doers and hearers. We already hear the word, but we're also to be doers. Hearing without action is self-deceptive. The boldest obedience, I would submit to you, that the boldest obedience begins with the meekest and most humble hearings. Ongoing obedience is the hallmark of a true child of God. Now, there's a belief that is prevalent in our culture today that real faith is internal, that it is really just an expression of self and self-interest. So always be careful when somebody says, I'm a person of faith. I don't know what that means. See, it's the attitude that, what do I get out of this that makes me feel better or be better? See, that's what our culture says is real faith. I just want to, I want to take things in that make me be a better person. But that's all very self-interested and self-absorbed. No, doing what the Bible says has ramifications far beyond our own personal self-interests. And James will get to that. Look, there is a huge danger in merely learning about the Bible of deep study dis and discovery while never obeying what we learn. To be more interested in the later, latest Twitter feed from God while never processing it and doing anything with it. We can be in a land of plenty and never actually grow from the nourishment that is right there. We're to commit to obedience and grow. Two important truths I want us to make sure that we take in as we understand these few verses. First is, this truth has been planted, it says in the NIV. The ESV says, implanted. The word implanted in you. Remember verse 18, God did this. 
God put it there. God has done this. He has dug into our soul and planted the seed of his spirit within us and is growing it. Now, sometimes that means some pain along the way because in order to grow things, sometimes it has to be tilled, hard soil has to be tilled up. Or the gardener prunes off parts that's going to suck us dry spiritually. But the truth is implanted. It is in us to stay. It is planted. It is dug, God has dug down deep and put it in there and it is fixed. The word implanted in you which can save you. If we do not let the word that we are listening to bring about change of action into us, then we are deceived. We are believe, believing a lie. What is that lie? That I can be a Christian and not live in ways that please God, that there are parts of my life that don't match the truth. James goes one step further and says, we deceive ourselves. We can take this lie so far that we believe we're okay. We're good. We're better than we used to be. Doing better. Making progress. But we deceive ourselves. We can hear the truth in a sermon and then go home and sleep with our girlfriend. You can discuss caring about the homeless in your small group and then turn around and never lift a finger to change the plight of the poor. You can have a close friend remind you that gossip is a sin and yet go to work and listen to the junk at the office about some employee that you don't really care about or care for. Not how it works. I love the way the message puts the idea of this section, puts it this way. Anyone who sets himself up as religious by talking a good game is self-deceived. This kind of religion is hot air and only hot air. How about we not be people who are filled with hot air? <laughs> that we take in the word of God and let it change us. Verse 23 through 25. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. We are to not only take in the word of God, but examine ourselves by the word of God. Examine yourself by the word of God. We are accountable for the truth that we have heard. We are responsible to examine ourselves and make changes through our obedience to God. Now look at what James does. He's really clear. He uses a really simple metaphor here, the mirror. This is a great illustration. Because like a mirror, the Bible doesn't flatter us. It shows us the unvarnished truth of ourselves. Now, as part of, of my workout regimen, a couple days a week, I go to the gym with a friend. And I'm convinced, and I've said this to him, those mirrors are messed up. <laughs> Th they, they have put some sort of funky mirror in that gym because, and he, you know, he's always telling me, now when you're doing these extra, when you're lifting these weights, look in the mirror. No, thank you. Because those mirrors, they purposely put those mirrors in that gym so that I keep paying my monthly fee and keep working out. 
Because what I see in that mirror is not what I'm thinking. The mirror is inaccurate. Or, I think one day I actually blamed it on the shirt I had worn that day. What's my point? The mirror isn't the problem. The mirror is not the problem. The mirror is not the problem. The mirror is simply showing us the unvarnished truth of the problem. What are we supposed to do with this mirror? Well, first, do more than a cursory inspection, James says. You know, we, our attitude in looking in the Word of God can't, you know, can't be like we do with a mirror sometimes. Hey, I'm staying in today so no one will see me method. We have a completely different method when it comes to how we will be seen in public, though, don't we? Now, some of you are not understanding what I'm saying here. I'll just say this, that you must have be way more self-assured than I am when you look in a mirror. You're, you're confident enough, I guess, to leave the house with no product. In my case, it takes a lot of product. Matter of fact, I, don't light a match near my hair. It's just not going to, it shouldn't happen, okay? We, we, there's a different method we use, right? When we take the time to look and go, people are going to see me today. Need to do something about that. This is extra. I was watching uh, Andy Griffith the other day. <laughs> and Barney Five had an issue with that, you know. Anyway. Okay. You people over here don't have any idea what I'm talking about. What is happening? What is James describing here? James is describing a person who hears the truth, knows what God is saying, and then doesn't make any changes or adjustments in their life. Now, I'm not saying we, we purposely reject God's word to us. James is speaking to believers here. So I don't know that we do this purposely, but how often do we hear the truth, but then not determine immediately what we're going to do about it? And then we completely forget what God has graciously shown us, and we're on to the next item to learn and then forget about it. We move on and forget what God said. It's kind of like we're passing the mirror. Oh, that's bad. We have to do more than a cursory inspection. Second, we have to be honest with ourselves. Be honest with yourself. Real wisdom is seeing ourselves as God sees us. Don't just glance at the truth. Let it reveal you. Let's not get caught up in the self-deception that James talks about here. Now, I know that we want to put our best self out there for others, but that ultimately will never be fruitful. There's an amazing power in admission of our own sin and our self-revelation to others. As many of us studied in our small groups this past week, we began Genesis 1, right? In small groups, freedom and growth comes when we allow the light to shine in the places of darkness in our lives. It is in the light, the truth, that powerful transformation takes place. Be honest with yourself. Now, this is not something that's in the passage, but I want to talk about it for just a minute, and that's be aware of your own blind spots. Now, something's wrong with that sentence, right? We are not aware of our own blind spots. That's why they're called blind spots. But I couldn't come up with a better sentence, so that's what you got. 
Here's what I mean. We need to acknowledge that there are pieces of ourselves, there are ways of thinking that we do not see on our own. We need the Spirit through the Bible and sometimes through the caring words of someone who loves us to see ourselves. To hold the mirror of truth in front of us and make us faith the truth that we would not otherwise see. I heard Bill Hybels, who's the pastor at Willow Creek Church in Chicago, recently say this, that blind spots, when they are revealed to us through the word or through someone else, can then be moved to the category of weaknesses. And I thought about that a while, and I thought, well, I want my blind spots to be revealed, and then I move them to strengths. Here's his point. We don't immediately become strong in these areas. We can now know our weaknesses and then work on them. And that's what I th think James would have us do is have people in your lives that are telling you about your blind spots. Read the word in such a way that you're letting it reveal things. You know, we kind of read the word like this. Da -da 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 -da. Okay, did that today. Check. Rather than take the time to let it show us ourselves in its mirror, continue to let God show us ways to change and grow. And then, as we're doing this, we receive God's blessing. We receive God's blessing. Look at what he says. The man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. The law, it's a synonym for the word. It's the truth. It brings freedom. We've sung about that this morning. The truth of the word brings freedom. Jesus in John 8 says, Everyone who sins is a slave to sin, but if the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. Now, we don't always feel free because we get bogged down by what? Sin and selfishness and self-reliance and pride. There is nothing more freeing than allowing God to reveal yourself to you and then responding to the truth by letting the truth have an impact in you and bringing blessing into your lives. Isaiah 66, 2 says this, This is the one... This is the person to whom I look. This is, my eyes are set on this person, okay? God's looking at us in pleasure. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. That's what pleases God. That's, that's when we're pleasing God, when we're humble, contrite in spirit. We tremble at the word of God. We realize this is important. What is that blessing? Here's the blessing he's talking about, that we are becoming more like Jesus. It's not about all the good stuff we get because we love Jesus. It's not about stuff at all. It is a challenging and growing relationship with Jesus. God's ultimate blessing to us is himself. We're to receive God's blessing, be aware of our blind spots. We need to be honest with ourselves. We need to do more than just a cursory inspection. Verses 26 and 27. If anyone considers himself religious and yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself, and his religion is worthless. Religion that, our God, that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, 
to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Live out the Word of God. We're to live out the Word of God. Any religious belief must be more than just intellectual. To be true to the Bible and true to the example of Jesus, belief must include and culminate in action. Yet let's be careful here. This is not an adjustment of our lives to ourselves. That kind of what we've talked about, better than I used to be. It is realignment with God and His truth that changes our beliefs and ultimately our behavior. Well, what's he say here? He gives us some real practical things. And I've, these last three points are going to be the vernacular that I remember my parents using as I was growing up. Okay? Number one, watch your mouth. Watch your mouth. See, here's more of that tendency to self-deceive. Look, we, we start to fool ourselves into thinking that we are deeply spiritual while not fully letting the Spirit control our speech. This is the second time that James, right in these few verses, has mentioned this. We can cuss and gossip and complain and fight for our own way and tear people down with our words and say things that we can never take back and spew stuff that is far from the truth of God and yet consider ourselves somehow spiritual and even godly. And God says that this kind of thing is what? Worthless. It's worthless. Matthew 12, 36 says this. I tell you that everyone will have to give account on the day of judgment for every empty word they have spoken. Now, what exactly does that mean? I don't know, but it sounds huge. I know this. We are responsible for what we say, especially those things that we say out of anger. Look at what it does. It pushes others away and essentially tells others to not be honest with you because of your volatility. It wounds and it hurts and it kills if we don't watch our mouth. Our words over God's word is never a good thing. So watch your mouth. Second, care about someone besides yourself. I thought of an, another one after this, which is get over yourself. But we'll go with this. Look here, this is amazing. Get this. God tells us what his desire is for his children, to care about others more than ourselves. And if we do that, God is pleased. God is worshipped. See, James is going to tell us that we need to care more than criticize. Now, why do we do the criticizing over the caring? It's easier, right? We just keep doing it. That's easy to do. We love it, right? Look at Facebook. We show the best of ourselves and criticize everything else. Those of you who live in Gehanna, there's this little Facebook page called Take Back Gehanna. It should be called Let's Gripe Gehanna. We love to criticize. I don't like the way so-and-so's doing this. I don't like that. I don't like this. Heard one guy say once, I like what I'm doing better than what you're not doing. 
We love to criticize. James gives two examples that were both prevalent in his day. They were major issues. You see, in that time, orphans and widows were in a situation where they had no hope, no one supporting them, no one to care. See, they were in a situation there was no family available, and so they were on the streets forgotten and ignored. Now, certainly, we see these two groups in need today, but back then, this was really bad. This was not a good situation to be in. What James, what's James's point? Well, do we want to see God, please God and be real Christ followers? If that's what you want, figure out how to live your life in such a way that you work to give people hope. Care about someone besides yourself. Give people hope, spiritual hope, emotional hope, physical hope. When and where are you committed and invested in doing whatever it takes to make sure that others know there is a reason to live tomorrow? That there is someone who cares about them. That there is a God who loves them. One author put it this way, the Christian faith is certainly personal, but never private. Watch your mouth. Care about someone besides yourself and Third, stay out of the dirt. Actually, my mother would have said, where have you been? <laughs> stay out of the dirt. God's way is better. His rules for you are for your best. There is a reason not to buy into the world's ideas of what is fun and fulfilling and important, of what is best and what will get us further up the ladder. God says there is no need whatsoever to play in the mud. It's just going to get all over you and even in you, and then it gets hard, and it's going to be a mess to clean up. God loves us. He gives us a way to live that is best for us. And living that way becomes worship to him. C.S. Lewis said he wondered why Christians were often so content to splash around in a mud puddle of sin rather than jump into the ocean of God's righteousness. Stay out of the dirt. Keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Matthew 7.24 tells us what we have to do now. Therefore, Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Ready to sing the song? Right? A lot of truth in that kid's song. Wise man built his house on the rock. Hear these words and put them into practice. I know that you want this kind of stability in your life. This kind of blessing, this kind of Christianity, the real one. Not an easy one, not a Sunday-only one, not a selfish one. You want, I know this, that you're here today because you want a world-changing, people-blessing, widow-serving, orphan-loving, pure, God-honoring life. I know that you want to be passionate about the way that you take in and apply God's truth. I know you want to grow in your desire to live out his truth and not be a surface-level cultural Christian. Yuck. 
I know that you want to deeply and honestly examine yourself and then live out God's word, his truth, each and every day. But all the sermon hearing, all the commentary reading, all the blog searching, all the small group participating means nothing if you do not put truth into practice. Let me say this about this study today. The key moment of this sermon, of this study this weekend, will come after it's done. On Monday and Tuesday and throughout this next week and the coming weeks. The question is, how will you respond to God's word to you today? What will you do because you've heard it? What have you heard even in the last few weeks that you need to do something about? Now we're going to take a moment here. We're going to pray. I want us to take, we're going to take a solid minute of time. Worship team isn't going to move. The ushers aren't going to move. No moving around. Complete silence and stillness right now. I want each of us, we're going to ask God a simple question. Now don't put your outline away. You're going to need it. And after we ask him this question, we're just going to listen. And then we're going to see if he tells us something. Here's what we're going to ask. You ready? Here's what we're going to ask. It's three words. As soon as I say it, we're going to take a minute. See if God responds. Here's the question. What now? How many of you would say, I get a sense that God has said something to me in that minute when I say now? What now, Lord? Here's what I want you to do. Write that on the bottom of your outline or somewhere on your outline. What's he saying? See, we, we asked the question, quieted ourselves. Now we're going to write it down. Then I'm going to ask you to do this. The worship team's coming. Our prayer partners, I want you, you all to take your places too. We're going to sing together in a moment. I want you to, to do a last bit of cementing. And that's go take your sheet and go to one of the prayer partners and read it to them. That's all you have to do. Tell them what God is saying to you. You can just go up and read it and then go back to your seat.
This will help you cement it in your thoughts and keep you from forgetting it. And it will remind you that at least one other person is praying for you to obey this week. What now, Lord? What now? God, cement, the, cement truth into us this morning. Help us to respond. Help us to obey. To be doers, not just in this room right now, but outside this room tomorrow. In Christ's name.